The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to those of you in the room, and once again to those online. I want to welcome each and every one of you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's summer here at the Springs, which is a great time of year for a lot of reasons, but uh, particularly I enjoy that during the summer our office population basically doubles in size because we've got so many fantastic interns that come to join us. And so it's a fun time uh, to be here at the Springs. We've got such great young people full of energy, just coming in with great ideas. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to our five interns that we've got. We've got Megan Deister. We've got Kendall Fike. It's on the next slide. We've got Michaela McKenzie, Jordan Santos, and then Sydney Dvorak. So let's go ahead and give them a round of applause. Really, really grateful for all the fantastic work they're doing. It's really wonderful to have them in the office with us. We're continuing in Proverbs this morning, wisdom for the journey in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but an accurate weight is his delight. After pride came, disgrace followed, but wisdom came with humility. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Wealth does not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will make their way smooth, but the wicked will fall through their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be ensnared by their own desires. Let's pray together. Jesus, we give thanks once again for this word. We give thanks for your presence among us, with us, God, we give thanks for your gospel that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Bless us, Lord, with the illumination of your Holy Spirit of this text, and God, I ask for the gift of preaching. We ask that your name would be glorified and that we would be challenged and inspired to do your kingdom work. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. A couple of years ago, Luke Walverd was telling me a story at Connections Group. If you don't know Luke and Meredith Walverd, great, great people, good friends of ours. They're in our group. And Luke was telling me a story about when he was a senior in high school at Broken Arrow High School back in 2009. And he was a representative for student council. And it was while he was passing out ballots for the high school yearbook superlatives, the voting, um, you know, where we get together and we vote on, well, who's going to get best all around and class clown and most athletic and whatnot. And so Luke was passing these out with his student council buddies when a brilliant idea hit him. Rig the voting. Rig the voting. Luke decided not to rig the voting for an award that he was particularly really desiring, 
but he decided with his friends, let's rig the voting so that we win awards that none of us could ever possibly win. And so Luke's friends quickly decided that that meant he should probably win best dressed. Because, mind you, Luke's attire at this moment in time for pretty much all of high school was basically a t-shirt and 99-cent flip-flops. That's what he wore basically every day. So Luke had a position on the committee that counted the votes. He had access to other ballots. And sure enough, he and his friends rigged the voting so that Luke wins best dressed of his 1,200-person high school senior class at Broken Arrow High School. So you can imagine the surprise of the female that won best dressed legitimately when Luke shows up for the yearbook photo in a slightly better t-shirt, and 99-cent flip-flops. Pretty intense for Luke to do that. And it's a funny story, but, you know, on another level, imagine if you were the guy who the entire high school, you'd been gunning for best dressed. You'd been wearing, in my day, I guess it would have been Hollister polos. You know, every single day, you're trying to get best dressed, and you find out that the voting was rigged you'd probably be pretty upset. You know, you, you'd probably utter those three words that we always learn as toddlers and then finally utter for the rest of our lives. That's not fair, right? You'd say, that's not fair. And what's the, what's the typical parental response to those three words? Life's not fair. Those are the three words of the parents. And in those three parental words, life's not fair, there's there's two things there. I think there's both the knowledge and desire for justice and fairness and equity that parents have and know that their kids have because they have it. And yet there's also a lifetime of knowing that sometimes it doesn't work out. Many times. Life just doesn't turn out fair or just. And we get riled up about that. We get riled up about that, and Proverbs says pretty much we should, because in a sense, God gets riled up about that. In verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but an accurate weight is his delight. Dishonest scales. Now, of course, we're not talking about bathroom scales here, which, frankly, I occasionally am cool with it being dishonest, if it's dishonest in the right direction. But we're talking about scales of of commerce, of economics, right? We're talking about, for instance, this cover from the Saturday Evening Post in 1936. Uh, It looks like a Norman Rockwell, but it's actually done by a guy named Leslie Thrasher. And it's called Tipping the Scales. And so you can see that the the grocer or the butcher, he's he's trying to, quote-unquote, put his thumb on the scale. He's pressing down on it with his finger to try and make it a little heavier, try and make a little bit more money off the sale of this poultry. And the buyer, on the other hand, is pushing up, right? She's trying to, to make it a little bit less expensive, to make it weigh a little bit less to pay under the price that's fair for this bird. And so scales in the ancient world weren't exactly like this, but 
of course, a similar principle applies. Here's a scale from the 16th century BC. So about a millennium and a half before Jesus. And these kind of scales, which looks like our classic scale of justice, they were particularly important in a world before coins were widely used and standardized, right? We've got coins, and we know how much it weighs and how much it's worth, and it's standardized and guaranteed by the government. But in that day and age, if you were going to pay for something, you needed to weigh how much you were going to pay, right? So you would use these stones, and you would put them on one side, and you knew how much the stones weighed, or so you thought, and you would weigh your silver out, say, on the other side, and you would make sure you had the right amount to purchase from the seller. And so there's a couple ways to cheat people with these scales, though, right? So there's the dishonesty of the scale itself. You know, you've got the arm on the top, that bar, and if that's centered, you're going to have an accurate weight on both sides. But if it's off kilter, right, if it, if it breaks one direction, if the owner has adjusted it so it's not quite off center, that's going to mess with the weight. That's going to mess with the sale price, and he's going to cheat you out of extra money. All right, or the second half of our verse says that God likes, he delights in an accurate weight, right? And so that Hebrew there literally is a perfect stone. So we've got perfect stones. That's what God delights in. But when the stones don't weigh what they're marked to weigh, that's another way that one could be cheated out of extra money. If you've got a, you know, five-pound stone, so it says, but it actually weighs eight pounds. And so Proverbs says, God abhors dishonest scales, but an accurate weight, a perfect stone, is his delight. And this isn't the first time that God talks about this subject with Israel. This isn't the first time that Yahweh brings it up. In fact, he addresses it in Deuteronomy. He addresses it in Leviticus, even. Leviticus 19, verses 35 and 36. It says, You shall not cheat in measuring length, weight, or quantity. You shall have honest balances, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, you'll notice that God's injunctions here are tied to his identity. He says, be honest with your weights, with your measurements, because I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right? I'm the God that liberates you. And you'll notice that in Scripture all the time, injustice is very much tied up with idolatry. Very often, economic injustice is tied up with idolatry because when you stop worshiping the God of Israel well, you will probably start to worship yourself, worship your safety, your security, your wealth, right? When you stop trusting in the God who delivers you out of slavery, the God who cares about justice, the God who cares about you, well, then you start trusting in yourself. And that's when injustice creeps up. That's when we cheat and lie and steal. Because idolatry 
and injustice are very closely tied together. And this is the God who liberates us, the God who cares about his people, the God who cares about the poor. And the book of Proverbs talks about the poor in various ways. So we've kind of talked before about how Proverbs feels a little bit like it's a bit more black and white than the gray, ambiguous world of Ecclesiastes. And there's some truth to that, but also Proverbs is more complex than that, and there's multiple voices throughout the book, and so one of the ways that Proverbs talks about the poor or talks about poverty is that it ties it to the actions of the poor themselves. One of the ways that Proverbs talks about it is tying it to sin, to gluttony or drunkenness or even to laziness, to a lack of a work ethic. And so we've got this whole strand of verses in Proverbs, this whole voice that says, for instance, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Poverty and disgrace are for the one who ignores instruction, but one who heeds reproof is honored. This is one of the ways that that Proverbs talks about poverty, and we can recognize truth in that. Absolutely. We know in our own lives, we know in the lives of, say, family members or, or just friends, we, we've seen the ways that sin can lead to hardship at times, that, that our own personal failures can be tied to the hardships that come upon us. We've seen that truth. That's a piece of the puzzle. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves, I think particularly as American Christians, at times we've acted as if this is the only set of verses about the poor in Proverbs. I think at times we've acted in ways that that act like this is the only voice about poverty in Proverbs, that the ways that we've approached the poor, approached our culture, even our policies, have have been connected to ignoring this other voice in Proverbs. Right, because there's another voice about the poor in Proverbs, a voice, for instance, in chapter 13 that says that the field of the poor may yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. All right, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth, extortion, or gives to the rich, bribery, they themselves will come to poverty. The righteous person cares for the legal rights of the poor. The wicked person does not understand such knowledge. And then finally in chapter 14, those who oppress the poor insult their maker but those who are kind to the needy honor him. Yes, sometimes it is personal failures, it's sin, it's gluttony, drunkenness, laziness that leads us down a path of economic hardship. But church, sometimes the scales are not balanced. Sometimes the scales have been broken. Sometimes we don't apply for that job at the factory, but sometimes the factory moves away. And 
a family that's never known any other life and has no resources or wherewithal to move is stuck. Sometimes the scales are dishonest. A couple of years ago, I, I got to teach a high school class at Oklahoma Christian Academy on the minor prophets. And if you've been in the minor prophets at all, if you've been in Amos or Jose, you know they talk a lot about economic injustice. They talk about a lot about idolatry. And I was trying to kind of make a, a different viewpoint for these kids to kind of help them see a different side of things, to kind of complicate their views of poverty and, and being poor. And so I decided to play this game with them that I found. It's called the stack of the deck. And so if we were going to play this game this morning, I'd, I'd call up one person, and they could be kid one, and I'd call up somebody else, and they could be kid two, and then we'd have a third person who'd be the banker. And so kid one would have a deck of cards, kid two would have a deck of cards, and the bank would have a deck of cards. And so one by one, we would go through categories that relate to a child's development and their potential earning power in our economy. And so, for instance, we would start with education, and, and kid one regarding education has not had much help at home. You know, kid one didn't get to go to preschool. When kid one finally goes to school, it's very underfunded inner city schools. So kid one, in, in turn, would have to take his queens, his four queens, and trade those into the bank, and he'd get back four fours. Kid two, on the other hand, good education, good schools, well-funded schools, had help at home, kind of already knew how to read by the time he got there. So kid two gets to take his threes, say, and trade those in for four jacks from the bank. And so on and on it goes through different categories. Nutrition, kid one some, is on food stamps and sometimes they run out before the end of the month and so he goes to school hungry. Well, that's hard for your brain, that's not good for your metabolism, and it's harder to concentrate on an empty stomach. He gets to trade in, say, his four tens, and he trades those into the bank for four fives. Kid two, doing okay. Kid one, parenting, it's a broken home, single mother. She doesn't quite understand how to navigate the legal system to get dad to pay child support. Many, many single mothers live below the poverty line. Not enough time to help. You get the idea. And so at the end of the game, and we haven't even touched on the categories that this goes through, like college and race and environment, all sorts of different areas. And at the end of the game, we draw four cards from kid one stack and four random cards from kid two stack to kind of predict their economic earning power. And I don't have to tell you that kid two typically sails pretty easily towards wealth. And kid one is going to have a tough time. Kid one's going to have a really, really tough time. Now, yeah, there are, there are rags to riches stories. You know, there are, there are people who, who make it out. We all know them. Some of you are them. But I think that's probably the exception that proves the rule. Sometimes the deck is simply stacked against. And the scales have been dishonest. I think we've known this on some level. 
I think we know this when we look at the world around us, and I think the Springs is a church that, that has known this and therefore has tried to live up to our God-given call to do the kingdom work of writing the scales. You know, this is a church that has had people like Georgia Soloway and, and Jean, that has had people like uh, all sorts of people like Chris Hayworth that have gone down to whiz kids and tried to teach underprivileged kids how to read. Right? This is a church that has had Kelly Osborne who goes down to Green Pastures Church of Christ for a year and packs backpacks full of food for an underserved elementary school. Right? This is a church that has been full of, of Rick Geyers who have become court-appointed special advocates of, of the Bucks and the work that they've done, of the Potter's Connections group that has gone down and started a community garden with the juvenile detention girls. This is a church that has, has seen that and responded to the call to try and right the scales. And so the thing we've got to add to it today is that there's still work to be done. There's still kingdom work to be done because the scales are still broken. And so every new generation needs to know that this is something that God cares about. Every new person that walks in this door needs to know that this is a church that cares about righting the scales and helping those who've had the deck stacked against them. Because that's what we've been called to do by the Savior who, who blesses the poor. Right? And he says the kingdom of God that belongs to them. Because the truth is one day Jesus is going to show us with perfect clarity the dishonest scales that we've used with one another. One day Jesus is going to reveal to us with, with perfect and painful clarity the dishonest scales that we've used to judge each other versus the way that we've judged ourselves. All right, one day Jesus is going to reveal to us the, the way that we've used dishonest scales to judge our spouse and our kids, right? He's gonna reveal to us with perfect clarity the, the dishonest scales that we've used on other classes of people, other races and ethnicities of people. One day Jesus is gonna show us with perfect and painful clarity the way that we have judged ourselves always by our very best intentions and judged others by their very worst actions. Jesus is going to show us the dishonesty and the brokenness of our scales. And it's at that very moment, right at the moment where we see just how poorly we've judged, that's the very moment we're going to see just how graciously God judges us all. That's the very exact moment that we're going to see that as deficient as our justice was, as lacking in mercy as we were, that God is filled to the brim and overflowing. 
that God's mercy is his justice and his justice is his mercy and that Jesus Christ, the one who comes to judge the living and the dead, has been the judge judged in our place. That on the cross, Jesus is the judge of all creation who is judged on our behalf to right the scales, to bring the kingdom and his salvation, church. And so we're called to participate in that, not to build the kingdom ourselves, but to build for the kingdom, to participate in God's saving work of justice and righteousness. That's what we're called to. Let's live up to that call, church. Let's stand and praise that God together.